Let me just say good morning, Lakeview Church. So good to see you guys, and I want to, as I do every Sunday, just look right in those cameras and welcome all of you who are joining us online, whether you're watching this live in this moment or on demand sometime later, we're so glad that you're here, and I know everyone here in the room wants to just let our online congregation know how glad we are that they're joining us, and we want them to feel the love this morning, so can we just give a hand clap and welcome those people who are joining us online this morning. If this is your first time here, or maybe you're newer here, or maybe you've been around here for a while, I just want to make sure everybody knows that Lakeview Church is an everyday church for everyday people. And we are striving to follow Jesus, live generously, and make a difference every single day. And we're all on a journey uh, to become everything that God wants us to be, to learn how to follow Jesus better, to learn how to live generously and give everything that we have back to God and to make a difference for him in this world. And we're all on a journey to that place. And so if this is your first time or you're newer around here, we just wanna invite you to take that journey with us. I can assure you, none of us have reached the destination yet. We're all on the journey. We're all learning. We're all growing. We're all developing. And we just want you to take the journey with us. And we invite you to jump in and get involved and journey with us to become everything that God wants us to be. We started uh, 2023 on January 1st, as everyone else in the world did. It's okay. You can laugh. That was a poor attempt at humor, but you can laugh. I know it's church and but on January 1st, it was a Sunday, and so we actually did start the year together in this place, and, and we set out as our theme verse for this entire year, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be given to you as well. And we said that our theme for this entire year is just simply to put God first, to put God first in our day by spending time with him making sure that we're in the scriptures, that we are in times of prayer, and that we are making sure he is first in our day. We said we wanted to make him first in our week, that we wanted to prioritize in this year, gathering together as God's people. Hebrews chapter 10 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even more so as you see the day approaching. And so we said we want to prioritize God first in our week by gathering together in worship services like this one. We said we want to put him first in our finances. We want to learn how to manage our resources well so that we can actually have more margin, so that we can give generously and support the work of the kingdom, not just here, but around the world. We said we want him to put him first in our work and in our entertainment choices, in our classrooms, and, and in all that we do everywhere that we go. And during the month of February, we're talking about how we want to put God first in our relationships. We've been in this series now for a couple of weeks, God Honoring Relationships, and we started in week one of this series by laying the theological foundation for human relationships and human sexuality and learning just what is God's plan and intention for humanity. And we went back and we studied Genesis 1 and 2 during that week. And then last week, we spent some time talking about the divine design and purpose for marriage. And we looked at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 19 and went back to Genesis 1 and 2 and, and we're looking at the teaching of scripture on what is God's plan for marriage. 
This morning in the third installment of this series, I want to share a message with you that I have entitled Embodied. And specifically what I want to do in our time together today is really make a biblical case for the fact that we are supposed to honor God with our bodies. I think that everything that we do with our bodies, we should do in a way that honors God. And this includes, of course, relationships and our sexual ethics. Now, this message is not a message I want to preach I just want to make that real clear because this is not fun for me. If you guys think this is fun, you got a wrong definition of fun. But as I have shared with you in this series, I have sensed for months now that if we in the church do not actually speak on these issues, we are allowing the world to disciple us. And as your pastor, it is not okay for me to simply step back on these issues and let the world disciple you. We have to go to the word of God and we have to say, what does God's word teach us? And so this morning, I wanna take you to a passage of scripture in the New Testament. It's written by Paul. Paul is a first century church leader. He was kind of the example Jew. He had kind of all of the parts of the resume that you would want if you were a person like Paul in a position of leadership. And, and, and Paul comes to faith in Jesus Christ. This is after he's overseen the, the martyr of, of Stephen. When they kill Stephen, they stone him. Paul is there overseeing it, and he's got letters in his hands, and he's going to other places to find other Christians to persecute them, to put them in prison, and even to kill them. And on his way, Jesus intercepts Paul and changes his life. And Paul, with all of his passion and commitment and devotion, shifts from being someone who persecutes the church to being someone who leads the church. In fact, Paul becomes one of the most prolific missionaries and church planters the world has ever known. He takes the gospel of Jesus Christ and he goes to cities and he finds people. He shares the gospel of Jesus. He leads people to faith. He forms a church. He begins to appoint and raise up leaders. And then he goes to the next place to do that process over and over and over again. And all along the way, he writes letters back to churches that he has planted. Sometimes it's to correct problems or misunderstandings, to give teaching and guidance and direction, to help them grow into maturity. And sometimes it's just to give them good practical Christian instruction. This morning, I want to take you to a passage of scripture found in a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the city of Thessalonica. And it's the first letter that he writes to these Christians, 1 Thessalonians. And I want to take you to chapter 4, and I want to look at the first eight verses. This is what the scriptures say. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to unpack these verses of Scripture with you this morning. But before we do that, I want to backtrack just a little bit to remind you of some things that we said in the very first message of this series. I think there are two important things that we need to know before we really start unpacking 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the first thing is one of the key theological principles that we said serves as a foundation of this entire series. And it's this, that we are representatives of God's presence. We are representatives of God's presence. And remember, we went back and we studied how God created everything, including humanity, in Genesis 1 and 2. And we talked about that this was the way God created the world to exist and function before sin ever entered the world. This is how God wanted it to be. And we talked about the fact that God, when he created human beings, it's the first part of his creation that he creates, but before he does that, he gives a preamble. He actually speaks words of intention over this part of his creation. Every other part, he just says it and it exists. He says, let there be land and there's land. Let there be sea and there's the sea, sun and moon and they just exist, stars in the sky and they exist at his word. But when it's time for him to create human beings, before he does that, he says, let's talk about what we're getting ready to do. And in the community of the Godhead, God says to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in conversation together, let's make this next part of creation to be in our image, to be just like us, after our likeness. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then God creates human beings. And we go to Genesis chapter two and we see God creating. What does he do? He takes the dust of the ground and he forms it into man. And, and then what does he do? In verse seven, it says he breathes the very breath of life into his nostrils. And we talked about the fact that God creates human beings in his image to be just like him, to, to image him in this world so that when people look at human beings, they see something of who God is. And not not only did he create man that way, but he breathed his very own breath into human beings to make them alive. And we talked about the significance of the word that is chosen here. There are other words that could have been chosen, but the word that is chosen to explain what God did when he breathed life into these human beings is it's the same word that is used to describe the very spirit of God all throughout the Old Testament. God is breathing his very life into these human beings. And it is because his intention for human beings is to represent him in this world. 
And when God forms them out of the dust of the ground and breathes his life into them, he's giving them not just a physical reality, a physical body, but he's giving them a spirit, his spirit, to guide them and to direct them and to lead them so that they can represent him well. And we talked about the fact that human beings are this unique reality of body and spirit united into one being. Which brings me to the second point. I promise there's a sermon that's coming. I promise. Second point that you need to understand before we get to 1 Thessalonians 4 is that we cannot separate our spirituality from our physical life in the body. You cannot separate those two things. We are bodies and we are spirits, but we are united into one being and you can't pull them apart. Now, this is important for you to understand because in the first century, when Paul's writing this letter, in fact, they tried to pull those two things apart. There was a false teaching that arose in the first century church. It's known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism basically says that there are two parts of reality. There's a physical reality and there's a spiritual reality. And they're not united into one. They're actually opposed to each other. They are set up against each other. So that the spiritual world is one thing and the material or physical world is another thing. And they're not working together. They're actually opposed to each other. In fact, Gnosticism goes so far as to say that one is superior than the other. The spiritual is better, more significant, more valuable, more substantive than the material or the physical. Now, some of you are saying, what difference does this make? And what does this have to do with relationships? Well, what Gnosticism taught and where the danger exists in this teaching is that Gnosticism said that the way that you became everything God wanted you to be is by having this special inner knowledge that was deposited not into your body, but into your spiritual life. And your job was to cultivate your spiritual life and grow and develop in this knowledge and then do whatever you want to do with your body. To say it another way, love God with your heart and then just go out and do whatever you want to do with your physical being. Because your body doesn't matter. It's lesser. It doesn't have the importance that your spiritual life has. And so what you had in the first century church is you actually had Christians who were loving God with all of their heart, but they were not loving God with their body. They would go to the pagan temple and the pagan temple in their city was actually set up and, and staffed with prostitutes. And the way that you worship the pagan deity was to go to the temple and have sex with the prostitute. So you can imagine why Gnosticism is appealing because you can love God and know that you're on your way to heaven if you love him with your heart and you have this special knowledge in your spiritual life, but you can do whatever you want to do when it comes to sexual ethics. You can go have whatever kind of life you want to have in the body because what Gnosticism taught is that God doesn't care about the body. He only cares about your spiritual life. It's really important for us to understand this because Gnosticism didn't stay in the first century. 
We have that right here and right now in the 21st century. We have people who are saying, you can love God with your heart and do whatever you want to do with your body. And I want to suggest to you that 1 Thessalonians 4 paints a completely different picture than that. So with those two ideas in mind, listen again to these words beginning in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Three things I want to point out from this passage of Scripture. First, we are set apart. We are set apart. When I was a kid, my mom had a set of dishes that sat in our china cabinet in our dining room. They were special dishes. They were to be used for special occasions, like when the president comes for dinner. I say that because in all of my growing up years, never one time, never one time did I ever eat off of those dishes. And It's not, they weren't the kind of dishes you just go grab and throw a piece of pizza that was left over from last night and stick it in the microwave. That could cost you your life. She had a special set of silverware that had its own box with, and it was lined with felt and, and, and all of those pieces, every once in a while she would take them out and polish them and then put them neatly back in the case and then stick them back in the drawer and we never once used them. Why? Because they were set apart. They were for special uses. You are set apart for a special use. You are not to live your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not to live your life like everyone else in the world because you, as God's people, you have been set apart. We see this in verses three and seven of this passage where we are told that this is the will of God, your sanctification It's interesting, the word will here literally means the desire of God's heart for your life. And that word sanctification literally means to be set apart for a special use, for a holy purpose. God doesn't want you to just be in with the everyday ethics of our world. If you are a follower of Jesus, God expects you to be set apart for him and for his purposes in this world. In my own personal devotions, I've been reading through uh, the, the passages in the Old Testament where God gives instructions to Moses on how to build the tabernacle, that portable temple that would travel with God's people through the wilderness. 
And God's very specific, how many posts and how tall they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be covered with and the size of the bases and how many bases you'd need and all of the canvases that would stretch around the outer court and how the inner tent was supposed to be made and the holy of holies and all of the pieces of furniture, all of the utensils, all of the things that they would use at the altar, all of the details and not just that, but the garments and, and the people that would be set aside to serve as priests. And, and he goes through all of these instructions and then they go and they make everything just as God said to make it. And then God says, okay, now Moses, take all of this stuff and before you do anything with it, anoint it with oil. Anoint all of the pillars, all of the bases, all of the canvases, Anoint all of the furniture, all of the utensils, all of the candlesticks and lampstands and anoint it all with oil and then bring the priests and anoint their clothes and anoint them as people. Why? Because all of this tabernacle is meant to be set apart for God. It's meant to have a different use than just kind of the everyday normal things that you would do in life. No, this is special. It's set apart. Here's the thing, when you read the New Testament, what you discover is that we are declared by God to be a kingdom of priests. We are set apart by God for God's work in this world. And this is really important for us to understand. This is God's will. This is his greatest desire for your life, that you would be sanctified, that you would be set apart, that you would put God first in your life so that when people see you, they say, there's something different about that person. They've been set apart for God. And when we, when we become these kind of people, we move toward holiness. God shapes our lives from the inside out. He changes our hearts. He makes us look like Jesus and we begin to become like God. We're, we don't become God but we become like him, which makes perfect sense because we were made in his image. We are set apart. What does a set apart life look like? Well, we're told in this passage, Paul goes right from this phrase, this is the will of God, your sanctification. He says, so you are to abstain from sexual immorality. And this is the next point that I want to just bring to our attention, that we as God's people who have been set apart for God, we are to abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's call for us as his people who have been set apart by him and for him. Now, this word sexual immorality, it's the Greek word porneia. And when you hear the word, you automatically think of the word in our English language that comes from it. It's the word pornography. But when we look at this word in all of the Greek translations and then look at all of the English translations, this word often gets translated as sexual immorality like we see in this verse or as fornication. It is not a specific term. It is not just addressing one kind of sexual sin. It's actually an umbrella term. It is meant to say any kind of sex that is outside of God's good design. So when God, remember, he's the creator, he's the owner, 
And he is the judge. He is the one who sits enthroned over all that he has created. And he's the one who gets to set all of the boundaries. When he determines this is, this is where sex can happen and this is what sex that honors God looks like, anything that's outside of that is porneia. It is sexual immorality. Are you guys as comfortable right now as I am? Here's the thing, God has a plan for sex. Remember last Sunday we said it's time for the church to redeem sex. And if you weren't here last Sunday, it kind of makes you wish you were. We actually talked about the fact that when we talk about sex, even in a setting like this, we often get really uncomfortable with it because sex for us has become a bad word because the world has perverted sex in so many ways. And so we hear the word sex and we connect it with bad things. Things that are not the way God intended. And so we assume that sex itself is bad. But it is time for the church to redeem sex by reclaiming that word and putting it back in the context where God intends it to be experienced and abstaining from every other kind of sex and every other kind of sex act. This is what we are called to. And remember, we said that God created Adam and he created Eve, not as exact copies of each other. They were the same. They were like each other, but they were different. They don't stand side by side as exact copies. They stand face to face as similar but different, and they fit together perfectly, literally, this is how God created male and female. And then God created marriage. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And we talked about the fact that that encompasses the emotions and the connections and, and all of those things. But it is a word that describes the sexual union that a husband and wife are to experience in the covenant of marriage. That is God's plan for marriage and for sex. And anything outside of that is porneia. It is sexual immorality. Now, I think the church has done a disservice to our world because we have picked a sin or two and singled them out and said, this is really bad sexual sin. And we've kind of turned a blind eye to some other things. But I want to just come back and remind everybody that God has a very specific place for sex to occur. It is within the context of a marriage covenant between a man and a woman for a lifetime. And anything, and I mean anything, outside of that is sexual immorality. It does not honor God. So whether we're talking about premarital sex or an extramarital affair, whether we're talking about you turning on your computer and looking at pornography or pulling out your device and looking at pornography, whether we're talking about sex between people of the same gender, whether we're talking about rape or bestiality, whether we're talking about polyamory or polygamy, whether we're talking about incest, or anything else that you could think of that is not a man and a woman in the context of marriage, that is 
porneia. It is sexual immorality. And you say, why doesn't God give us more freedom to experience sex in more ways? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Why? Because the body is meant for the Lord. That's why. You have to make a decision about what you're going to do with your body because Gnosticism is a false teaching. Bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, and acceptable. This is true and proper worship. This morning, I'm going to give you some space to respond, and I'm not giving you any instructions other than just listen to the voice of God. Some of you are carrying shame, and you need to lay it down. Some of you are trying to earn your salvation, and you need to stop and receive God's grace. Some of you are under the weight of addiction in your life. You cannot stop looking at those images. Some of you, your marriage is falling apart because there's been unfaithfulness. And we could go on and on and on. There are lots of problems in a group of people this size where we need the help of God. And so this morning, as the team sings, all I'm asking you to do is just listen to God and respond. You can sit where you're at. You can stand. You can raise your hands. You can kneel. You can come to the altars. Whatever God's asking you to do, I just want you to do it. And remember, there's no shame and there's no condemnation. Only grace only grace because that's who God is. So God, as we sing this song this morning, as this team sings the song over our congregation, I pray this morning that you would do your work in this time, that you would set people free, that you would heal marriages, that you would restore families, that you would change lives. God, only let us hear your voice. Let us be faithful to surrender ourselves to you. God, we give these moments to you now. Speak, for we are listening. I'd like you just to put your hands out in front of you with your palms up and just like us to enter into just a a closing prayer this morning. God, I know that messages like this are, they're not fun. They're hard to hear. And yet, God, we want to be faithful to what you've asked of us as your people. And we recognize, God, that in our own strength, we cannot do all that you have asked us to do. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your power. And we need your help. God, we cannot make ourselves holy. We cannot clean our hands and we cannot purify our hearts. We need you to do that. So God, I pray for this body of believers all at different places and points in our journey together. And yet, God, here we are. Help us in this moment to offer all that we are to you and to let you do whatever you want to do in and through our lives. So I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. I pray, God, that you would remind us that your intention for us is to image you well in this world. So set us apart. 
Help us to live holy lives in relationships as it relates to our sexual ethics and in everything that we do with our bodies. And God, may we offer our bodies to you as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, and acceptable to you. This is our act of worship. Help us to go beyond worshiping you in a service like this to worshiping you 24-7 with all that we are and all that we do. And God, for the way that you help us and the way that you give us grace and strength and empowerment for the journey, we will give you all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive these words from God as you go from this place this morning you receive a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in your life that sets you apart for God's purposes and empowers you to live a holy life. And may you continually offer all that you are and all that you do to God as a living sacrifice. And may you find yourself living every moment as a sacred act of true and proper worship. Amen. You are sent.